listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. And good morning, everybody. Time for our real estate question of the week. Bob Martin from Crossroads Real Estate Group is on our live line, and we're going to ask him the question of the week and find out what his answer is. Bob, are you there? I am, Roger. All right. Nice to have you along on this Friday. And our uh, question says... um, with rates rising and real estate having increased as much as it did, do you think that we are in a bubble, quote-unquote, and the prices are going to drop like the last big correction? What's your answer to that one, Bob? No, I do not. Uh, you know, the the last big correction, there's quite a few things have been implemented, if you will, since the last bubble burst. Um I think we're, we've definitely had a slowing down of appreciation in property values. Uh, however, um, I'm not detecting any tremendous reductions or even in some cases no reductions at all. We are still occasionally selling homes that are over the asking. The, the reductions you, you're, you know, if people have read or are seeing, those are homes that the homeowner you know, was shooting for the moon and hoping to catch somebody in a frenzy, but they weren't properly priced to begin with, uh, for the most part. Um, so some of the things, and why I don't think we're going to have a bubble here, although we're going to probably hit a plateau and things are going to be level for, for a little bit, um, is we still are historically at a low inventory. The last bubble that burst, there was a lot of houses for sale. And, uh, and, and buyers have their choices, and that, in a sense, drove some prices further down. In this case, a, a, as I've said before, six-month inventory is, is about average and, and fair between a buyer and a seller to negotiate. We are still at approximately a one-month inventory. So we've got a long way to catch up on inventory before we even get to a, a balanced marketplace. So there are still more buyers than there are listings. And so that will keep, I think, the market, let's call it stable. The other thing that happened um, since the last um, crash, if you want to call it, is, is lenders uh, really tightened up what we call their underwriting requirements. <clears throat> They're requiring people to have more income to qualify for a mortgage. They wanted more down payments. Uh, they were looking at more ancillary. You know, back when... Uh, we had there was a mortgage out there called the stated income. So Bob wants to buy a house, and I say I own my own business and I make X. Uh, there was no verification. They say okay, we'll take your word for it. That is no longer the case. And in fact, you know sometimes people are scrutinized, and there are mortgages that didn't get made, if you will, because you know of those those tightening of those screws. They take you buy a multi, they take less of a percentage of the the rent. Um, so they, they built in their barriers and some, some cushions. The other thing that came about out of this the last time that's helped, and it came in at the end and saved a lot of people, um, but now it's in places. If someone is having a difficulty, um, there's, a, a, there's a thing called loan modification. So what a lender will now, and, and they put the gear set up for it, is they will try to work with that individual and say, okay, you owe 300000 based on, you know, 
the fact that you lost your job and found a new one, you're making less income. We're going to requalify you, and hypothetically, you can now afford a mortgage of 250. What we're going to do is basically going forward charge you on 250 dollars, a 50 thousand dollars, and if in fact you can make those payments, we're going to put that other 50 thousand aside. And yes, someday when you go to sell the house, we we will collect it. But in the meantime, it's put away and. You're not going to lose your house over it. That did not exist at the beginning of that that last bubble burst. Um, and then the other thing is builders are much more careful. Um, not that we in the Northeast that we've had, you know, there's not a lot of land, not a lot of good land left. So we don't have these hundred home um, subdivisions, but, you know, they exist in the country. But builders also are holding uh, their new construction uh, back quite a bit. Um, which, again, is keeping prices up, but they don't want to be out there with 10 or 12 spec houses. So, um, you know, you put all that together, yes, rising interest rates did put some people out of the market if they were very marginal, but we're, we, we are still active. People are still paying. If the property is was priced fairly to begin with, they're still paying that. A couple of prices this week, we actually sold it overacting, so... No, I, I don't see a bubble bursting at all. I do see that we're going to level off on appreciation for a while. and uh, But I, I look at things, you know, rates are still under 6%, which is still tremendous. So, no, I, uh, if I were this gentleman, I would um, particularly, you know, if he's in, if it's his home, he figures he's going to live there for a while. Would I buy a home today and say I'm going to flip it tomorrow or next week or next year and make a lot of money? No, that's a whole different issue. But if someone is still looking for to purchase, particularly if they don't they have a home to sell, everything moves laterally. Uh, so uh, it's still a good time to buy, and I, I would not at this point in my life worry about a bubble. So basically, I think you're telling me even though the market may be deteriorating from where it was a few months ago, it's a heck of a lot better than, than past years and past decades. Yes, yeah. I mean, it's, it, you know, I, I would say the frenzy is gone because now there's not only one house. Um, it's a little bit of an example. I mean, we've talked in the past where there were five single family homes for sale in Woonsocket. Well, there are 22 today. That's not an overabundance because it's all price ranges. <clears throat> but in a normal marketplace, there'd be 50 or 60 of those homes that would be av- available. So as long as that, that, inventory remains low uh there are virtually more buyers than there are sellers and it's going to keep you know it's not going to put the demand at this point over the top uh like before but um it they've got a few homes to look at which they will which i think is what's going to stabilize prices um but um it's not going to where people are going to say gee i paid um you know and, and my house is worth 50% of what it was. I don't, I don't see that happening at all. Um, I look at a pretty stable environment going forward. I think rates are pretty much where they're going to be. They, they may go to six and a half, but we're not going to see a 9% rate or anything like that, in my opinion. So, no, it's still a decent time to buy. And, if, you know, anything under 6% on a rate of interest, uh, maybe not compared to a few years ago, um, but it's still a great rate. I mean, you can lock in. And then the thing is, there are no prepayment penalties. So if I'm wrong in saying, gee, rates are going to go back down to 3%, well, people can always remortgage. 
So um, they've got the best of both worlds. Actually. Yeah, you and I can both remember higher interest rates than the one we're experiencing right now, for sure. Absolutely. Yep. Bob Martin, thank you. And we appreciate it. Okay. Crossroads Real Estate Group right here in Woonsocket at 329 Park Avenue. They can always reach you at um, your uh, your That's office number is 7665545. Or myself, 474-3556. Thank you for sharing that with us, too. And you have a great weekend, and thanks for joining us on our Real Estate Question of the Week. Thank you, Raj. Good day. Noteworthy music. Our aim is to release the artist in all of us. Welcome to Noteworthy Music at 175 Eddie Dowling Highway, North Smithfield. We offer music instruction in piano, guitar, vocal, percussion, and provide lessons in all band instruments. We also teach various musical styles. Since 2005, we have been instructing from piano to composing, and we can do it for you too. For more information, call Gail, 356-0061, and find how we can genuinely care about the satisfaction of our customers. At Noteworthy Music, we offer the personal touch. That number again, 401-356-0061. And now a message from State Representative District 51, Robert D. Phillips. With early voting taking place August 24th for the September 13th primary election, now is not the time to skip voting. There is a progressive movement trying to take control of our state. The ultra-liberal co-op is putting forward a wave of candidates, and our District 51, representing Woonsocket and Cumberland, is under attack by a candidate who will do the bidding of the socialist movement of my opponent and her cohorts. I have a record of only furthering the agenda of my constituents, the good voters of District 51, not progressive or party agendas. This important primary election will decide the state representative race. So if you would like to continue to have your voice heard, cast your vote for Robert Phillips, state representative, District 51. Paid for by friends of Bob Phillips. For breakfast or lunch, discover Ollie's Diner, 802 High Street, Route 114, Cumberland. Besides traditional eggs done any way you want, there's waffles, pancakes, and French toast, and you might want to try the Big Ollie. With seasoned hash browns, ham, Swiss cheese, two poached eggs, and hollandaise sauce, nine and a quarter, it's a customer favorite. Recent reviews? Teresa says great food and service, always friendly and welcoming. And Joanne says great food with an awesome staff. For breakfast or lunch today, try Ollie's Diner. 802 High Street, Cumberland, open daily, 7 a.m. to 2 p.m. You're listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Upfront program, Friday edition. And uh, this week, we've been meeting the candidates, as we have been in other weeks. Let's see. Uh, John Ward was here on... Tuesday, and he talked about getting reelected to the Woonsocket uh, City Council, and uh, he put forward his uh, his argument. And then on Wednesday, we had Mayor Lisa Baldelli Hunt on, and she uh, talked about getting reelected. Uh, I think she has a real good chance of getting reelected. What do you think, uh, Lynn Bouvier Capiscus? Running out of post will do that for yep. you. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right, this is all part of my political analysis, right? It's very in-depth. Thank you very much. So, uh, anyway, she was here on Wednesday. And today we will uh, chat with uh, Lynn Bouvier-Kapiskis. Uh, and she is running for re-election to the school committee. We'll ask her why she's doing that. 
and some other uh, school department questions that she may or may not know about, but I got a whole bunch of uh, topics here. But we'll let her go first because the purpose of these programs is for the candidate to um, kind of lay out what they would like to do, what they have done, and what their philosophy is, and um, and have you decide uh, whether to return them to office or not. And then we'll talk about some other things. Before we do that, we want to remind you about one ad that I missed in the last break, and that is the fi- Friday night fish fry that happens every Friday night at the Elks here in Woonsocket. And it's uh, open between uh, 5 and 7.30. That is, the kitchen is open. And uh, what you can get are a whole bunch of uh, goodies on Fridays. Fish and chips, of course, $12. And then if you uh, don't want the chips, fish only 10 Do you like uh, chowder and clam cakes? We've got um, six clam cakes, 12 uh, clam cakes. You know, take your pick and mix and match with the chowder. Baked fish, $12. And then if you come in with somebody who doesn't like seafood, they can have a steak sandwich or a steak and cheese sandwich, both with fries. The fish fry every Friday at the Elks. Starting Sunday, September the 12th, a week from this week, uh, we're bringing back bingo to Winsocket at 6 p.m. A lot of people say, well, I want to play bingo. Well, you can at the Elks starting uh, Sunday, September the 12th. And the final uh, announcement here on the Elks is uh, they have Friday and Saturday night entertainment. And uh, this coming Saturday night live band, and it's called Vinyl Frontier is the name of the uh, band. And they'll be entertaining from 8 until midnight this coming Saturday night at the Elks here in Woonsocket. All right. So I think that uh, tells everything. Um, we've got um, the fish fry tonight. And we've got the uh, the band in, Vinyl Frontier, tomorrow. And we with bingo coming next week. All right. We've taken care of it. Good morning, Lynn Bouvier Kapiskis. How are you doing? I am not unwell. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad you're uh, okay also. So you now know what the school committee is all about. You've been there a while. And, um, and so the election cycle gives people a chance to... Uh, uh, go away from it, like Denise Sierra. She'd been on the council a whole bunch of years, and uh, the election period comes up, and she uh, she bows out. Did you think of doing that in this election cycle, or uh, you 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 right in there? One hundred percent thought about it. Um, absolutely, this would be my if I'm elected. This would be my third term on the school committee, and I don't think anybody can dispute. That the last four years um, having anything to do with the school department have been just the slightest bit stressful. Um, we've dealt with issues that haven't been dealt with in 100 years um, in terms of the pandemic, in terms of COVID and restrictions and figuring out remote learning. And, and um, on top of that, uh, separate and apart from COVID is the school safety issues and school shootings. And it has been a very eventful four years since I first got elected. And I'll be frank, I was feeling kind of tired. And I was thinking, I don't know if I want to do this again. I don't know if I have it in me to do it again. But um, a lot of people reached out to me and said, we hope you'll consider running. Um, And I'm not talking about fellow school committee members, but teachers, parents in the community. um, People that I respected and I respected their opinion and they felt that I should run again. Um... I don't know whether or not I'll be elected. That's up to the, the voters here in Woonsocket. 
But if elected, I'm happy to serve. Just because I thought about not running again doesn't mean that if I'm elected, I won't give it 100% because I give 100% to everything I do, uh, which is probably why I'm so tired. Um, but if elected, I'd be happy to serve again. But it has been a very event-filled um, four years, and I don't think the next two years are going to be any easier because we're going to be uh, dealing with potentially the building of new schools, the reconstruction of some of our old schools. Um, and at some point during this term, the running out of the federal assistance that we've all received to help us bring in special services to try to help our students get over some of the issues connected with remote learning and returning to school. Um, and how we're going to handle those budget deficits that are certainly going to face us or we're going to have to pull out staff members to avoid deficits. Um, so it's going to be another difficult term, I fear. But I'm ready for it if that's what happens. And I feel like because I've served for these past four years, I probably have a better understanding of what went on in the school department during the COVID period. I was part of the reopening committee. I was part of the closing committee. Um, so I kind of have a better handle than maybe a lot of others in the community as to what is going to happen when that money drops out. And what's going to be lost and fig trying to figure out how we're going to make sure our students have the mental health assistance they need as well as the social, emotional and the educational assistance they need. Uh, schools serve a number of purposes right now, not the least of which is social, emotional health. Now, I uh, will paint the uh, landscape for our listeners just in case they don't know. Uh, there is no primary for... Uh, Lynn or the other six uh, candidates because uh, not enough people turned out to uh, run for school committee to drive a primary, which is almost a question in itself, but uh, we'll get to that maybe later on. So what's happening is today's visit by Lynn, you're not going to see her on the primary ballot. You have to wait till November. There'll be six names there, five people elected. Now, here's my uh, question. Skin in the game. Have you ever heard that expression? Right. Now, I think that uh, uh, when you first ran for school committee, you had kids in the school district. What about today? Uh, are you, um, do you have any, any children uh, in the district? And uh, are, you, um, are you doing it for the, uh, the rest of the community now? I no longer have skin in the game. My daughter graduated from Woonsocket High School in 2015. My son graduated from, with the infamous class of 2020, as he puts it. There'll be an asterisk forever next to their name saying they graduated, but nobody really knows it because nobody saw them. Um, so I no longer have skin in the game. The only uh, member of the committee that still has skin in the game would be Amy Costa. Um, but there are other members that have grandchildren that are in the district, so they do have some skin in the game. I don't. Personally, but for 16 years, I've chaired the Winsocket Special Education Local Advisory Committee. So with regard to our special ed students, while I don't personally have skin in the game, I feel I still have skin in the game in terms of the students um, of those parents that I speak to every first Thursday of every month uh, to discuss issues around special ed. And I think that that is where my skin in the game comes from. Someone still needs to be there representing, understanding that special ed population. And I don't think a whole lot of people, before I came on the school committee, gave a whole lot of thought to those kids. Um, and now they, I have them thinking about it. We now have a special ed update provided every other meeting so that um, people know what's going on in the special ed department, where we are in terms of the number of students, because our percentage of special ed students is very high. And that has nothing to do with the educational system. 
it just is what it is. You can't alter the fact that you have children in the district that have some disabilities, some more difficult than others. Um, but when I first, uh, when my son first went to school, the special ed population was about 20 to 21 percent of our school population. Now we're closer to 28 percent. A lot of that has to do with COVID and distance learning, but a lot of that just has to do with the nature of our population. We're a poverty-driven city. We just are, and it affects everything. So my skin in the game, to answer your question, is still those special ed kids who represent more than a quarter of our students and need someone sitting on the school committee who's thinking about them in addition to all the other students in the district. So um, can I ask you some questions about individual populations within the school department? You just, you just um, uh, singled out one, and that would be uh, children who need uh, special attention. But there's a whole bunch of other populations. Uh, so let's go to... Uh, uh, this, I'm not taking these in any order of importance. They're all important. Truancy. Uh, uh, there are a lot of kids that don't come to school. And um, I know that uh, it's just one of the populations out there that uh, you have to think about. Um, and do you, do you spend much time on that uh, as a school committee body? We do. We absolutely do. We talk about truancy. I would say um, once we're in session, once schools are in session, it probably comes up at least once every other meeting that we talk about it. But don't think that the only place we talk about it is in those school committee meetings. We talk about it in subcommittee meetings as well because we all sit on two subcommittees. And we talk about issues around truancy and attendance and tardiness and, and all of those issues and how it impacts our students. Um, truancy... There's only so much we can do with schools to encourage people to make sure that their children get to school. Some parents simply work at the time that their children are supposed to be coming to school. When my daughter was in kindergarten, there were students that she went to school with that were getting themselves up and ready to go to school in the morning. In kindergarten, they would get themselves to school. Some of them dressed pretty scarily. I remember a little girl in a sundress in December during a snowstorm. But hey, she got herself dressed and she got herself there. Um, and then we have other parents that just, I, I fear, don't recognize the importance of education for their children and their children's future. And maybe don't make as much effort as they could or should to make sure their children get to school and get to school on time. Um, but we do our best to impress to the students because that's the population we can reach. They're the people that we see every day to tell them how important it is for them to go to school and how important it is for their future, whether their future includes college, trade school, work, uh, military. Attendance is important because you can't have a job and show up for two days and then miss a couple of days and show up late the fifth day. That, that isn't going to work for you. So you have to learn that you need to when you have responsibilities. You have to be there. And I told my kids when they were little, school is your job. And we tell kids the same thing now. School is your job. It's your job to be here and make sure you're here because we can't teach you if you're not here. We have an email uh, that we'll acknowledge in a few seconds and uh, also a phone call, okay? Uh, but uh, the next population, I have a number of populations. I'm going to do a second one and then we'll get to our other callers and so forth. And then I'll get back to populations. And that's the population that gets bullied, and I have heard um, about them uh, in listening to the school committee meetings on WON. They they carry them. And it's a nice uh, public service, I guess. It's a public service, and and um, I hear that come up on different reports and so forth. Tell me about that population. There are a lot of kids that get bullied 
still. And where does bullying take place? Is it K through 12? It is K through 12, but um, as a result of some push from uh, school committee member Amy Costa, uh, we've done some beefing up of the reporting requirements to the school committee so we have a better picture of what's going on. Um, and essentially we get a report at least twice a year. It's blind. We don't know who was doing it. We don't know what the bullying's about. Well, we get a report of at least numbers of where those bullying incidents are being alleged and where there are findings that there was actual bullying going on. Um, and those numbers are showing us that it is essentially elementary school, uh, which I really thought was going to be middle school or high school. Maybe it is middle school and high school that there's bullying that isn't being reported because the kids are older. Maybe they're embarrassed. They shouldn't be. They, we need to know what's going on and where it's going on. But the focus seems to be in elementary school because that seems to be where the biggest amount of bullying incidents are occurring. So educationally, we're focusing on our anti-bullying efforts in the elementary school, which makes sense anyway because you want to teach it to them young. So it carries through going all the way up. Um, We're doing our best, but there's only so much we can do. A lot of parents are like, well, why don't you just suspend the kids, kick them out? There are very strict state laws on how you can suspend a student. There are only two real bases on which you can suspend a student. One is that they have to be a threat to the entire student population or to themselves, which would be the basis that the only basis you could come up with for bullying. And there has to be a whole bunch of investigation going on. And simply bullying someone, calling them names, does not rise to the level of activity that can support a suspension. Because our job is to educate students, not kick them out. Now, I understand parents are going to say that's unfair because my children are being bullied by this person. All we can do is do our job, which is try to educate them. Families have to step up do and to and do their part to make sure that they educate their children who allege that they're being bullied to report it so that we can talk to the students who are doing the bullying and, and encourage um, positive behavior and put them through the restorative justice practices that we go through to try to explain to people how bullying feels. And the bullies, the bullies need to have parents who are saying, you need to knock this off. This shouldn't be going on. You shouldn't be behaving this way. Um, when I was young, it was taught at home. I don't know that it's not being taught at home, but it sure feels that way. A lot of times, some of the kids who are bullying are just not being told at home that their behavior is inappropriate. Or maybe they're mimicking what they're seeing. I don't know. But the bullying is definitely centered on the elementary schools. We're focusing our efforts on education in the elementary schools. There are campaigns that go on. There are presentations that go on. And now with regard to the older kids, we have some involvement uh, from the Nonviolence Institute that is stepping in to help us uh, to figure out when that bullying rises to the level of fighting, how we can help to handle that, help we can quell student population concerns. Lynn Bouvier-Kapiskis is with us. I have the feeling, knowing you, uh, doing the uh, law program and and uh, interviewing you and watching you as a school committee member, that the politics of the school uh, committee is something that you don't care too much about. Oh, 100%. I don't care at all. <laughs> right. um, I, I listen to it, and I, I sit there and shake my head sometimes, but I, I'm not playing the politics. I, I, I listen to, not no disrespect to anybody who 
donates their time, volunteers their time to work in public service. But I listen to city council meetings, and like others, I, I have my popcorn and my wine. Um, I'm hoping school committee meetings don't rise to that level, but I don't really care about the politics, which is why I always say I don't care if I get reelected or not. I, and, and I hope people don't misinterpret that. I'm not doing this because of some power trip. I'm doing it to try to serve what I think is an underserved population, special education and their parents. And, and the other people that I've come to get involved with during the last four years – but I don't care whether or not I get reelected in terms of the grand scheme of things. That's not a power trip for me. Well, I'll set your mind at ease. I listened to both the city council meeting and, and the school committee. And the city council meeting scuttered all over you guys oh, in terms of uh, entertainment value. Thank goodness, because I, I do not want to. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> right. We've had some scary ones, though. Right. We've had some pretty interesting ones lately. Uh, so the reason I bring this up is uh, this is a political question from a. From a listener, uh, uh, but it is in the domain of the school department, and um, and we'll get to our caller after we uh, take a commercial break. Since uh, here's how our email reads: Since Barry Field is under the uh, control of the school committee, would the candidate—that's you—be uh, in support of breaking the deed for the purposes of commercial development? And would you kindly answer as a school committee official? And then maybe answer, secondly, as a lawyer, and maybe the answer is the same for both. Well, as a member of the school committee, this is what I want to say about Barry Fields. Right now, that land is held under a deed restriction for the benefit of the students of Woonsocket school system. Um, that's who it's held for. It's not held for anybody else, and that's who we're looking out for the best interests of. Um, does that mean that it's necessarily a bad thing to... Uh, seed control of Barryfield to some other entity. It's too soon to make that decision. I, I don't think we have anything before us that tells us, oh, yeah, this is a good idea for the students, let's do X. Oh, yeah, this is a good idea for the students, let's do Y. But I can tell you this much. We are currently seeking $150 million from the state to support building new schools and rebuilding some of our older schools that are in deplorable condition pursuant to the state's own, own reports. Um, we are looking for $150 million. We'd like to spend more, most of that $150 million on the actual school building itself and not have to spend millions of dollars to purchase land. It would seem pretty foolhardy in light of that for us to say, oh, yeah, let's just give up land that's available for us to potentially build a school on that we already control in order to... Um, build whatever anybody else wants to build on it i don't care what anybody wants to build on it the bottom line is we know how much it costs to buy the land to put the middle schools on why would we think about trying to buy land assuming we can even find enough land uh one contiguous piece to build an elementary school with adequate parking adequate room for a playground adequate room for whatever you're going to need to support a school when we already have all that acreage up at barry field why would we want to lose control of it we won't know what's going to happen with that funding till at least november so i don't think that we should be even talking about that till at least november till we know whether or not we're going to need that land to potentially build a school on. That's, that's my thought. And I don't sit on the building committee. So just if anybody thinks I have inside information, I don't. I don't sit on the building committee. It's not something that the building committee is discussing with this full school committee yet. But that's my thought. It seems to me that's a very easily accessible piece of land to potentially build a new school on should we get the funding that we need to build a new, and I would suspect it would be an elementary school that we would be building, or maybe even an early childhood center. We could certainly use one of those in this city. 
All right, we're going to uh, take a, a break for a, a few ads. And then when we come back, uh, we have a caller waiting. That means uh, you have to put your earphones on. Have you done that uh, ever before? Yeah, right. Well, we'll show you how to do it while the break is on. And um, let's see. Uh, I think it's a, it's a Grumpy's break. Yeah, Grumpy's in Bellingham. They're open seven days a week, and we're going to tell you about them now. So what's in your appetite? At Grumpy's in South Bellingham, their menu is so expansive, we can satisfy any taste. You may want to try a Grumpy Signature Burger. There are 12 to choose from. And if you like seafood, try our broiled seafood sampler of haddock, scallop, shrimp, lobster, and a stuffed quahog to go along. And you might want to check out our Taste of Italy, too, from eggplant, parmesan, spaghetti and meatballs, and many other Italian choices. And you may want to try a grumpy sirloin steak, filet mignon, or a Bourbon Street steak tip dinner, all char-broiled to your taste perfection. And we have a nightly menu special and also weekend specials. Kitchen open Friday and Saturday till midnight. Restaurant open seven days a week at 3 o'clock Monday through Thursday at noon on weekends. It's time to make it a Grumpy's experience today. All right, and uh, Grumpy's uh, is open uh, with uh, on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, besides the regular menu, they present to you the weekend specials. And many times, Brian has a prime rib on the menu. I don't know if it's on the menu this weekend, but there's always some good specials right there at Grumpy's in South Bellingham. All right, this is Daybreak Southern New England. And this portion of the program are brought to you by our good friends at Kayer Kosher. They are certified public accountants. Kayer Kosher, your accounting, financial planning, tax preparation, and business consulting services of Woonsocket and Warwick. 600 Cass Avenue, Woonsocket, Jefferson Boulevard, and Warwick. Call us locally at 766-8100. Remember, outside of the tax season, we do planning for business, individuals, and families. We're Kayer Kosher. We're certified public accountants. Again, our local number, 766-8100. And remember, having Kayer Kosher to consult with on your personal financial situation is like having all the right answers well here's a question for you from Vern rainville do you have frozen pipes or ice dams causing some damage to your home last winter well this is probably covered by insurance and did you know that you have two years to file a claim call Vern rainville the local adjuster that represents you not the insurance company. Vern is a licensed public adjuster by the state of Rhode Island and will work for you to initiate a claim. You can call Vern Rainville today at 484-300-8495 for a free, no-obligation, in-home consultation. All calls are returned in less than 24 hours. And Vern reminds you there are so many other coverages available to you during a loss. But um, the insurance companies, um, well, they're not going to go out of their way to tell you about them unless you ask. Policies are extremely difficult to read, digest, and understand. And once you hire Vern, he will let you know what you're entitled to based on what's in that insurance policy. That's Vern Rainville. A lot of people have uh, called for his number here. And he has helped a whole bunch of people. One more ad before we get back to interviewing Lynn Bouvia Kapiskas. It's the um, nice menu that we have for Savini's Pomodoro Italian Kitchen and Bar. And today being Friday and tomorrow Saturday and the day after Sunday. Open at noontime, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Close Mondays, other days at 4. And um, Jill has given me the chef's specials. 
And on the appetizer um, menu, how about something uh, that's you know might not be uh, too many times you want to enjoy clam cakes and chowder this uh, this year, especially when the temperature gets to be 19 instead of 91. Anyway, a New England chowder and clam cakes on the appetizer menu, and something we're going to try this weekend at uh, Savini's. They have a grilled ribeye steak, which really looks like uh, it's um, nicely, um, nicely cut and uh, nicely prepared. And you can find it on the chef's special menu, along with the pochetta. Pochetta, it's braised pork with fennel, garlic, oregano, with potato, and uh, a daily fresh vegetable. We are a mighty good restaurant. Love going there. Savini's Italian Kitchen and Bar. Rathbun Street, Monsonkid, Rhode Island. Open today at noontime. You're listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. Lynn Bouvier-Kapiskus with us, school committee member, running for re-election to the school committee. She had to think about it, though. <laughs> right? Very hard, very long, very hard. All right, but she's doing it. There'll be uh, six names from which to choose in November, and uh, the top five names will be elected to uh, the uh, school committee. All right, now we're going to take a call, so if you put the earphones on, we'll uh, listen to uh, somebody uh, ask a question related to the school department. And then we have other um, other areas. Remember, I was talking about uh, populations. Well, we'll talk about the gifted population next uh, after we... See what this person has to uh, say. Hello, what would you like to uh, ask about? Hi, folks. Hi. Hi, Hi Lynn. Hi. Uh, Lynn, um, I was wondering, I got a couple of quick questions here. Uh, what are your views on the legalization of marijuana in the Wasaka community? All right, and the second question? And the second question would be, uh, is it possible in the curriculum of our school children that the Bible could be taught as a, he- a secular history of a great people? Is that possible? Okay. Let's talk about those two issues. Thank you for your call. And so um, now, do you take a position on marijuana one way or the other uh, uh, for this call? It doesn't really affect the schools, but with regard to my own personal position, um, I think if you're going to legalize any drug, that's probably the easiest drug to legalize. Um, it's certainly the most popular, the cheapest. Personally, I'm sick of smelling it on the street and and passing cars and practically getting a contact tie. It's very frustrating. Um, but it is what it is. We were getting that whether or not it was legalized in Rhode Island because it was legalized right over the border in Massachusetts. Now, some people may have heard about the intention of the Rhode Island Department of Health to now force each school district to develop a policy with regard to this dispensation of dis- dispensing, excuse me, of medical marijuana to students. Um, and that is a, an issue that I've said on the policy subcommittee, actually I chair it, that we've been discussing for months and will continue to discuss until we are satisfied that all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. And we're not really thrilled about this whole having to develop a policy for the use of medical marijuana in our schools. I think it creates a hot but hotbed for difficulties and problems. Um, but it doesn't look like we're going to have a lot of control over it because if we don't comply with the requirements of RIDO and RIDE, 
Uh, they could suspend our funding. That's what our lawyers tell us is our punishment if we decide not to adopt this policy. I'm, not, I'm only one person. I'll vet the policy as much as I can through the policy subcommittee. Um, no, But no matter what, I want to make sure it's clear to everybody, students included, that if this policy is adopted, that the use of medical marijuana is permitted in our schools. It will be highly restricted, highly regulated, and it cannot be smoked. That is still a hard and fast rule that there is no smoking of marijuana on school grounds, even if you have a permit. Um, so that's the bottom line. With regards to the legalization generally, uh, to the extent it impacts schools, you can't smoke it on school property. It doesn't really impact our schools. Is it going on in the parking lots? I don't know. I don't know how we can control it. There's only so much policing you can do. I'm more worried about what's going on within the four walls of the school, uh, to be honest with you. And that's where our focus is on policy. With, and I hope that's answered the question. Yeah, I think it does. With regard to the second question, with regard to the teaching of the Bible, um, the first of all, we'd have to come to an agreement whether or not the Bible is factual or fiction. And um, I graduated from Providence College. I didn't minor in religion, but I really should have for all the religion classes I took because it was an area of interest to me. Um, that I at Comparative religions, I took a New Testament uh, class, an Old Testament class. And I can tell you that it's the opinion of scholars, and I don't disagree with them, that much of the Bible is fictionalized. Um, as long as you recognize that there's fiction in the Bible, um, if you have the appropriate curriculum around it, I suppose the Bible could be taught. But it can't be taught as a basis of religion. It would be taught only as a historical volume, but fictionalized historical volume. Um, document. You need to understand that these people did exist, but a lot of what went around their existence has been fictionalized and changed over the course of years. The Bible began as an oral history, and oral histories change. If you do not believe that, I encourage you to think back to your childhood when you played operator or telephone, when the statement at the first person was definitely different from the statement at the tenth person. Um, and that's what the Bible comes from. It comes from an oral history. Um, do I think that the Bible is going to be included in the curriculum in any of our schools anytime soon? No, I don't think so. We just adopted a new language arts curriculum here in the district, and I am not aware that it includes the Bible. Um, however, if it did, it would be included as an act of, uh, as a, a work of fiction, and I suspect that that would not satisfy the people who are advocating for the Bible's inclusion in curriculum. And you uh, would or would not... Uh if, if a teacher was introducing the Bible as literature, as part of an overview course, uh, I think there would probably be little opposition to that as, part, as long as it's just part of a number of pieces of literature out there. I think the teacher would be expected to be teaching other comparative religion documents as well. Mm -hmm. um, I could see it in a comparative religion class like I took it at Providence College. Do I think it belongs anywhere other than the high school? No. I think that if you're going to be discussing the Bible as a work of art, as a work of literature, it's only appropriate to discuss that at the high school level because I don't know how many people have actually read the Bible cover to cover. I've read it at least three times cover to cover as part of my education at PC. It's not an easy piece to go, to go through. And especially if you're talking about the New Testament, the four different Gospels are four different fictionalized versions of the life of Jesus, and they're very different, particularly our buddy John at the end. He's a, a very different view. Uh, so I think if you're teaching that 
in the terms of um, the biblical story is the, Jesus existed. He was a person. There's no question. How you want to interpret his life, those four gospel writers have given us four very different interpretations. Discussing that as an act, and I'm an, I was an English major. I have an English degree. Discussing that as a comparative, as, as literature, I can understand that. Do I think it's the best example? No. And I think the bottom line is curriculum-wise, we want the best example for our students. But teaching the Bible as a work of literature in the elementary schools and even in the middle schools would be inappropriate because the level of reading would not be high enough. How does uh, Lynn feel about religious exemptions in schools? Religious exemptions as to what? I don't know. I, uh, I'm reading the question as it is, and I thought it was... Um, I'm going to assume COVID. Tough to... Uh, I'm yes. going to assume COVID because okay. that's really the only thing, or uh, vaccinations. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've made my position pretty clear. Got screamed at, told I was killing people. Um, that's fine. You're entitled to your opinion. I'm entitled to mine, and I respectfully listen to yours. Unfortunately, some people don't respect respectfully listen to that of others. But uh, with regard to religious exemption, it's in place for a reason. Um, so if you were looking for a religious exemption to vaccinations and you qualify for it, that's fine. You're exempt. Um, but if you do not qualify for the religious exemption, if you truly do not practice the religion or the religion itself is saying this is not something that you should avoid, you should be willing to do this, then you need to comply with the terms of your own religion as I do. Um, with regard to COVID vaccines, which is usually the hot button issue, um, Quite frankly, there have been very few religious exemptions granted because most of the major religions have said that the vaccine is essential. We're not requiring it of our students. We're requiring it of staff. Um, I'm fully vaccinated. Got my flu shot yesterday. Uh, Got all my vaccines when I was a child. So did my children. Um, For those who say vaccines are a source for autism, I have a son with autism. I have a daughter as well who's neurotypical, both fully vaccinated. And that research has been completely and utterly debunked. So if that's what we're talking about, I think I've made my position pretty clear. Vaccines have their place in our society. And those of us who have been vaccinated have done our best to keep the COVID expansion down. We're doing the best we can to protect all of us. Of course, the purpose of this program is to uh, spotlight and highlight the candidate running for office. Um, This is a time donated by WNRI. So we have a few minutes left. And... um, I would say if you uh, knocked on my door and you presented yourself, uh, uh, you would say I'd like you to vote for me. For what reason? Can I just add one thing to the vaccine? Absolutely. It's your show. I just want to add one more thing. Um, there was a meeting with Ride with all the special the um, school committee members that were invited to attend. Unfortunately, 19 of us showed up, and they made it clear for those of you who worried about it, there was no intention on the part of Ride or Rhode Island Department of Health to mandate COVID vaccinations for any students. I do not think that would be an appropriate thing to do either. It's a moving target. There's no question. We don't mandate flu vaccines. We're not going to mandate COVID vaccines with regard to students, um, just so that we're clear on that. Um, what I would ex- what I would say to you if I knocked on your door, which I freely admit I'm not doing because my mobility is limited and I'm just not doing that. Um, I would hope that you would I would ask you to look at the last four years, see what we've done to try to keep the school system going under very difficult times where we were forced into distance learning um, by the state of Rhode Island, where we were forced to remain at distance learning, where we were forced to in- institute mask mandates, whether or not certain members believed in them or not. 
Um, we were forced to do all of this. We did our best to keep education going. Anybody who thinks that virtual learning was easy for the students or the staff is wrong. It was extremely difficult. It's like reinventing the wheel. And by the way, you have two weeks to figure out what that wheel should look like. And they did the best that they could. We've all done the best that we could. At least we continued to try to educate our students. Some school systems did not do that, which is 100% wrong. Um, we've done the best we can through very trying times. We're coming into more trying times. We're coming into contract negotiations with the union. We're coming into a time when the extra funds from the feds are going to drop out and we're going to have to figure out what new services we can keep in place, what services we can afford to keep in place, what services we can't afford to keep in place. And I think experience is going to count with regard to the school committee, which is one of the big reasons why I decided to run again, because I, I hope that I can consider the voice of experience and a voice of reason on the committee who's not politically motivated, uh, who only really cares about the students. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you. Good day, everybody. We'll see you Monday on the Upfront program.